Hey everyone, my name is Simland. And I'm Inga. And uh, today we're going to be going through a Q&A we had on our Instagram that we did together. So we'll just answer different kinds of questions. This episode is brought to you by Bond Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. My favorite light and sleep station companies, Blue Blocks, has rebranded themselves as Bond Charge. They're now involved with a huge range of evidence-based products to improve your wellness and life in every way. Their extensive range of premium wellness products helps you to sleep better, perform better, have more energy, recover faster, balance your hormones, and reduce inflammation. My favorites are their red light light bulbs because they can be used to create a melatonin-friendly environment in your bedroom by shining only red and not blue or green light waves that will reduce your sleep quality. After starting to use these red light light bulbs, I find it much easier to fall asleep and feel less awake before bed. If you want to try out these amazing products that are the cornerstones to my most optimal sleep, then head over to bondcharge.com forward slash seamlund and use the code seam15 to save 15%. All right, so first question is going to be supplements to minimize the side effects of alcohol on nerves. So um, yeah, do you have anything that comes to mind immediately? Um, minimize side effects on alcohol on nerves. Uh, well, basically, to lower the neural inflammation would be just an anti-inflammatory diet. Omega-3 fatty acids, for sure, to lower. Mm. If there is some overexcitation of the nervous system, then magnesium would be very good. Mm. And um, maybe then after the alcohol, immediately just to try to detox the acetaldehyde with glutathione, extra glutathione and vitamin C. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, let's say... Alcohol does have like a negative effect in almost any amount has like a neurotoxic effect and uh, mm-hmm. inflammatory effect on the body. But yeah, you can like minimize it with like what you do before drinking and afterwards as well. So like before mm-hmm. drinking the alcohol, you want to boost like your detox pathways and glutathione levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm even with like an acetylcysteine, for example, NAC, yeah. yeah, NAC, vitamin C, and vitamin Bs as well would be very good. Mm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in between drinks uh, to to boost the elimination of the alcohol, vitamin mm. C. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then after glutathione, and uh, if if it goes into a state of hangover, then during hangover, anti-inflammatory things, omega threes, mm. vitamin Bs, yeah. magnesium. Yeah. And like pro amino acids before uh, drinking and afterwards. Or even like during, you can have like, you know, these like ghee as well, like uh, activated charcoal and know, spirulina and those things. Mm-hmm. Those yeah, bind totally. to the alcohol. Yeah. Oh, and water. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> would be super important. Uh, next question. Thoughts on hyperbaric oxygen therapy? So I think both of them have tried it only like a few times, once or twice. Mm, I've tried it once yeah. because there's no available here pretty mm. much. What do you, what, I, what do you think about it? Well, I mean, I only have the experience in ones. I haven't really looked into it that much, mm. to be honest. So can't really say much about it. Yeah. Well, the research does suggest that it has like an- similarly like anti-inflammatory properties and helps with um, even potentially also like with nerve regeneration to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting study that came out, I don't know, like last year or something, was that it helped to um, uh, regrow telomeres. Um, it was then considered to be like a very like wow amazing anti-aging <laughs> activity mm. or something but uh, I think it's quite limited 
uh, the, those findings. Uh, so yeah, I think it may be beneficial for some people, uh, especially the people who with like low oxygenation status and those things, different kinds of um, like maybe diabetes where your like tissues are under oxygenated specific tissues like the limbs maybe there it can be very beneficial and like mm-hmm. um but go, i mean like yeah like it's hard to find and the units cost also quite a lot like fifteen thousand at minimum up to like fifty thousand mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I mean, I mean yeah if you can find it it can definitely be like useful i would imagine but i don't think that is at least it's not like you know in the priorities for most people for sure yeah we can do a little pubmed thing yes. quick. <laughs> General overview of the hyperbaric oxygen therapy applications, mechanisms, and translational opportunities. Okay, so HBOT is an effective method to increase blood and tissue oxygen levels independently from hemoglobin, I would imagine it's hemoglobin uh, transportation. Its therapeutical basis could be understood from three different perspectives, physical, physiological, and cellular molecular. All these effects provide HBOT its efficacy in the management of hypoxia-derived conditions and hypoxemia, respectively. Also exerting th- direct effects in infectious agents and immune cells, modulating a wide variety of cellular signal pathways, cytokine production and tissue processes such as angiogenesis. So yeah, like, like I said, like different, different like diabetes, if you have this, you know, your limbs are going to be cut off soon or um, yeah, like a burn wounds. Uh, those things where you need to regrow nerve cells yeah so basically not like an everyday biohack yeah definitely but maybe in certain conditions very beneficial yes Mm. okay then we have a question about stress recovery adaptation cycle i would assume this means that what is the cycle or Mm. how to improve it yeah yeah and it also could mean like how do you basically recover better Mm. From the stress. Mm. So, uh, any th- thoughts on that? It depends on what kind of a stress, I would mm. imagine. Mm. So, first of all, what is the stressor uh, in terms of is the psychological stressor or a physiological stressor? Mm. So, yeah, that affects the adaptation. So, this is the uh, general adaptation syndrome, uh, which is this module to use to describe the different stages of stress uh, created by Hans Salje uh, after World War II. And basically you have this normal homeostasis state, then there is this alarm where you experience the stress. That is usually where your body gets, you know, weaker and you endure this kind of damage and injury. Then your body like mounts all these like resistance to that stress, uh, like let's say it boost immune cells, resist cortisol, adrenaline, all those things to like fight the stress and resist it. And uh, eventually, you know, the reason how long you can resist it depends on the person and depends on how stressed out you are and, you know, what your uh, nutrient status and calorie intake and those, all, all those things determine how long you can resist the stress. If you, you know, reach a, reach a state of exhaustion, then you reach, you know, different kinds of uh, pathological conditions like hypertension or depression or uh, high blood sugar and those kind of things that come from the exhaustion but obviously you can also recover from that if you uh, overcome the stressor with the resistance phase or the stressor stops goes away then you you can recover and this this is obviously what you want to do like you want to boost recovery um, mm-hmm. any any like what, what, what would be like the most important things to kickstart the recovery process 
Well, I think whatever the stressor is, is to have a break from the stressor. So there is, at least psychologically, there is the danger that when you have the stress all the time and you get used to it, you go into the resistant phase, mm. then it becomes a chronic stress, but it becomes your lifestyle. So you're all the time in a small state of inflammation or a small state of like um, hypervigilance, uh, hyperactivity, tension, mental tension, mental distress. So just to mindfully take breaks uh, from the stressor and know what actually re um, relaxes you, mm. what makes you specifically to be able to let go of the stress, because we also have very different stressors. So the first important thing is to know what you get stressed about mm -hmm. and what is like, yeah, the biggest stressors for you. And then when you know that you are having this in your life, maybe acknowledge the fact that I may not be aware that I'm in a stress, mm -hmm. but I do have this constant stressor in my life, so I need to take breaks from it. Yes. And psychologically, I would say that anything that like improves the way you nerve activity, anything that makes your mind uh, wonder and being in a, like a state of awe or gratitude, you know, gratitude practices, mm -hmm. nature exposure, mm -hmm. maybe some breathing, yoga, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Taking breaks, chilling yes. out, relax. Yes. Sleeping and uh, Sleeping, eating yes. proper food, maybe sauna, those kind of things. Okay, so uh, best tips mm. for exam periods. A lot of new things to be learned in a short period of time. So you have a lot of experience with exams mm -hmm. and recently actually as well finishing master's degree so mm. <laughs> what is some good tips for uh, exams yeah i'm the chronic learner i always want to go into new courses and educations and um exams are actually pretty much hackable in a way like mm. you can do very intelligent choices with boosting your memory and making sure that the information gets uh, locked in, in into your brain and consolidated into the structures. What you want to do is you want to learn uh, the information just before bed mm -hmm. because that leaves less time for any interfering information before you go to bed. And during sleep, when you sleep, actually the hippocampus, which is the place that activates when your memory stores, that activates and it remembers well the information that you did just before bed. Mm. And then in the morning, you will review the information. So you activate these memory pathways again and you boost the consolidation. Mm. If you were to do this in an opposite order, that in the morning you learn the information, uh, that means that during the day you will encounter so much new information that actually when you go to the bed, the hippocampus is not as effective of collecting that specific memory from the morning. Mm. It collects the memories on, on the recent hours more effectively. Mm. So always study in the evening and mm. review in the morning and never pull an all-nighter mm. because your hippocampus will never activate. Yeah. Uh, so you can actually boost your memory like 40-60% by this technique. Mm. I think it's very effective. Nice. Yeah, I think it's very counterintuitive. Like mo most people would think that you need to learn in the morning and um like rest at night but mm. uh, yeah like you said you actually want to prime your you know you want to basically front load it in some sense the information to mm. so that your brain would you know store that information first yes because, uh, 
The second thing is that stop rereading information. Uh, that is not effective. So many people, what they do is they need to, wait, let's say they have an exam and they have a chapter of the book. So they read the chapter, they highlight, they read the chapter again, they underline, like underlining and highlighting is not any more effective. If you have already read it twice, that's like the maximum when you start regaining or you, you learn new mm. information. So the second uh, time when you read it, most effective in this case, if you still need to review, is to self-test. So you mm. make questions to yourself when you first learn it. And then when you want to revise it, take those questions and ask yourself, because now you need to actually use conscious effort and you need to recollect the memory. Mm. So you also learn to recollect the memory very mm. efficiently. Mm. And uh, yeah. Mm. And I think that the Richard Feynman technique is that you try to teach it to others. Like that's, yes. that's most effective that you, if you, if you aren't able to explain it to someone else, then you don't actually understand it and mm -hmm. trying to always teach it some like, and also like applying the explaining it to like a child, idea then uh, yeah you're forced to like hone in on the most important information as well as try to make it so comprehensible that you understand it first before you can explain it to someone else yeah and that's um, also the idea of the self-testing mm. like you need to mm. be able to explain it in your own words to yourself yeah. and the third thing is which actually has a pretty nice graph here people overemphasize uh, according to studies the internal cues like the revision, the like learning themselves, taking notes, blah, blah, blah. The very important thing is um, that we also have so many cues all the time around us and it would be very effective if you can to study in the place where you take the exam. Mm, yeah. So sometimes exams are made in the classrooms mm -hmm. and they are open for studying meanwhile. And you know that the brain is all the time scanning the mm. information or linking it to the information around you. Mm. So you may actually remember the information from, I don't know, the, the bench that mm. activates some memory cue. Mm. Even emotions and smells are mm. uh, these kind of environmental cues. So you can always smell some essential oil, for example, yes. when you learn the information and then you will <laughs> be, yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. You're almost like scouting, scouting the landscape. Yeah, definitely. All the time. To the classroom. So uh, this is a study in which these uh, scuba divers or deep sea divers were learning information in dry land and this is their recall later uh, when tested in the dry land. Mm -hmm. So they, they remembered like uh, a lot of the words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they were learning in the wet environment, uh, so underwater, they recalled way less. And this is the other way. When they were learning underwater the learns, at the words then the recall in the land was significantly worse than in underwaters right. so that's the effect of environmental cues mm. the water yes. and the, the scuba driver costume and everything served yeah. as a memory cue yeah and but obviously like yeah trying to uh, cram a bunch of information in the short term is hard so you need to like still like throughout the year uh, mm. learn <laughs> i guess that's the most like long-term uh, sustainable way to grasp the, uh, the topic yes and there is even studies on in which intervals you want to do this spaced mm. practice mm. so spaced uh, learning or spaced practice <laughs> next question is uh, are you married uh, well not yet <laughs> but we're engaged and uh, we're gonna get married so as of as of now yeah very soon like mm. in 
less than two months. Mm-hmm. Best way to increase muscle endurance. So, um, yeah, muscle endurance and cardiovascular endurance, they're like a bit different things in my opinion. Like you can have like a lot of this uh, cardiovascular fitness, you can run a marathon without having like a lot of like muscle endurance. Uh, whereas if you do, let's say, um, I don't know, like a, uh, like a high rep workout with like 20 reps, that's more like uh, muscle endurance in my opinion. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely you need to incorporate like different ways of training endurance for optimal results. You want to do like some cardio, which I think the best way to train endurance for the cardiovascular fitness is to do like the zone two cardio and trying to always, you know, but you train zone two by always staying within the uh, VO2 threshold of uh, the crossover effect where you start to burn glycogen. So you want to always stay below the 65% or 70% of your VO2 max train that limit and run and train that endurance as fast as possible or basically run or cycle whatever the endurance is as fast as possible within that threshold so you don't exceed it so you don't start to burn glycogen that is where you best train the best um, endurance and over time you should be able to like run faster and faster while still being able to stay in that endurance zone to cardio zone when it comes to um, muscle endurance specifically then yeah like you just do more reps like uh, let's say in the example of calisthenics, you just do a bunch of push-ups. Like, you know, with push-ups, you can go for like 50, 100 reps, uh, 150 reps, depends on your uh, strength. So, uh, yeah, you just train that with higher reps, uh, shorter rest periods, and uh, also like shorter uh, or less uh, sets uh, total. How can my parents improve their mental performance? Thanks. Uh that depends a little bit about their age and mm-hmm. what they do for a living and what is their diet and what is their way of living in general. Um, but basically, the older you get, the more important it becomes to sleep well and to have like um, good brain recovery, but also keep a very good diet. So make sure that you get all the choline, all the vitamin Bs, omega-3 fatty acids and the protein from the diet to build the brain and maintain the brain matter because that start, starts to degrade a little bit mm. in the old age. Um, for example, eggs are pretty good food. Uh, mm. A lot of protein, choline, uh, vitamin liver. Bs, liver, amazing, yeah. And then a lot of leafy green vegetables with a high nutrient content. Um, so that those are very good. Then one thing, of course, depending on the type of a job they are in, but... Um, Constant learning is one of the biggest thing that is very effective in maintaining the brain effectiveness and the brain um, matter and the connections there. So just like engaging into a lot of different activities like uh, having hobbies, traveling around, uh, maybe doing some cross crosswords or pseudocos reading. You know, doing this kind of uh, keep keeping mentally active yeah. and also physically active. Aerobic yeah. exercise is one of the best forms in making sure that the ba- brain is generating new neurons and connections all the time. Yeah, I think a lot of the you know people when they reach adulthood, then they're not really mentally challenged by a lot of things. Like they just mm. you know they stop learning, they um, attain their obtain their degree or whatever, and they you know do the same work and stuff, uh, which is relatively similar they don't have like new challenges and new things to like force them to learn and i think that's what leads to you know a lot of brain aging and uh, lack of performance mental performance uh, faster 
Whereas mm-hmm. if you are like, you know, constant learning and uh, yeah, stimulating your brain in the positive way, then uh, you can, yeah, offset that. Yeah. Well. And it's just naturally, yeah, that the challenges decline because in the young age, people study, they create families, they travel, there are all, all the time new challenges. You need to think like how to navigate through life. Mm-hmm. The older you get, the more you are also specialized to life already. Mm. So you don't have to think that much. You just like know pretty much what to do in your job mm. and your children moved out and stuff like that. So you need to find new new activities to keep your brain active and engaged in life yeah. and to different challenges as well. Next question is uh, how to fix sleep fast. So, uh, I mean, yeah, you can fix your sleep fast and you can fix your sleep slow. <laughs> uh, in the short term, yeah, you can take like just some melatonin and uh, maybe, you know, different kinds of... We actually have like this very nice tea with marshmallow and uh, what else does it have? Like different it's herbs. marshmallow root. Marshmallow and root, yeah. Chamomile, and I think it has lavender and valerian. Yeah, and we drink so, that and in like 30 minutes, like you're completely like, ah, oh, I want to yeah. go to sleep. We call it the knockout tea. Yeah. For um, that reason. Yes. So marshmallow root apparently is like very sedating in some ways. Mm. Um, yeah. Like you, you know, you can take melatonin. You can avoid all different kinds of stimulation, like social media and uh, bright lights, red lights in the room. Block out blue light. Take some melatonin. Um, maybe like a bath. I haven't taken like a bath ever, but uh, uh, it does like maybe relax your muscles. Those kind of things. Mm. To, you know, you just want to like. Make sure that you uh, are relaxed, not stressed out, not wired up, and uh, producing some melatonin is mm. essentially to fall asleep uh, fast. Mm. And reishi works, at least for mm. me, quite well, yeah. also for relaxation. Yeah. In the evening. In the sh- in the long term, like if you want to fix your sleep slow, then that you need to take into account like many other things. Like you need to take into account your diet, your exercise, your circadian rhythm nutrient intake um, even like psychology and uh, thought patterns those things have to be taken into account like you know mm. establish a consistent sleep wake on a cycle that you wake up at the same time and go to bed at the same time make sure you exercise during the day eat a good diet don't eat like immediately before bed mm. uh, get get all the vitamins and minerals and from a, like a mental side do you have anything to add like how do you what are the things that from a like brain or thought thinking pattern side can disrupt sleep the most commonest i think is the it, you you start thinking about a worry that you have like this thing is coming up this work thing is coming up and you just stay in the loop mm. and many times people get into catastrophizing so mm. oh my god now i cannot sleep because it's in my mind and i cannot sleep and then i'm gonna be tired tomorrow and then my presentation is gonna go bad and i'm mm. gonna get fired or whatever so this cycle needs to be broken so what you can do first is cognitive distancing mm-hmm. so you acknowledge it that hey my mind is getting into this loop uh, of maladaptive thinking mm-hmm. but you are not your mind so you can stop it and choose an alternative thought which could be like instead of this i want to think this and that it could be for example this is what i'm grateful for or I'm going to visualize a nice beach and me mm. playing there. I'm going to visualize tomorrow's presentation going well, me getting a promotion and then going to Bermuda for a nice beach mm. holiday because yes. I got a promotion or whatever. So 
just breaking the pattern of intrusive thoughts. If you kind of do it alone, then a meditation tape works out very well. Mm. Yeah. Question uh, way versus casein versus eggs. So um, I think whey has the highest like amino acid score out of all proteins because it's so like refined and uh, processed you only have like the protein uh their eggs are probably number two casein is a form of essentially like you know also milk protein that um, is like slower to digest whey protein is much faster to digest and absorb casein is considered to be like yeah like you absorb take it at night then you have these amino acids in your bloodstream for the entire night. Uh, all of them are basically like top three proteins in terms of bioavailability and uh, amino acid content. Uh, obviously, eggs are whole food, so in that sense, they're better. They also have like some other nutrients like choline and uh, fat and cholesterol. Uh, whey, I, I, th I think, yeah, like whey, it is like just a, such a powerful amino acid and like a powerful protein in that sense, but yeah, more, many people are allergic to whey and uh, get like GI distress from that. Uh, same with eggs, like some people can react bad to eggs. They're all like, yeah, top three proteins. Uh, but from an objective point of view, then whey is still like number one, regardless if you think it's like a whole food or not. I mean, it's a, it's a food, it's a powder, just like that. So it's way to go. <laughs> it's the way to go, yes. Is it important for brain health to eat salmon roe because of the DHA in phospholipid form? So DHA is one of the most important, if not the most important fat for the brain. 70% uh, of the neural membranes is DHA. So um, wherever you get it, it's going to be like, you know, a top priority to get DHA from the diet. Um, it can be from salmon roe for sure, for, for salmon or even from kelp or seaweed. That's actually where, where the fish get their DHA mm. um, so just as long as you get the DHA some people also are very effective in converting um, plant oils or, or like EPA yeah, into yeah. Oh, ALA yeah ALA into EPA and DHA uh, but uh, about 30% of the people have this gene which makes them ineffective in converting the mm. like olive oil and stuff like that into DHA so that's why I would recommend definitely to get fish if possible from the diet yeah. or um, omega-3 supplement mm -hmm. or kelp or yeah cod liver oil yeah things like that. but also like from the plant plant oils and oleic acid which is found in extra virgin olive oil that's pretty important for the brain too so mm -hmm. these two would be yeah. good to add to diet uh, so how much epa and dha to take daily so the Daily recommended intake of these are 250 to 500 milligrams for adults. It might be that for some individuals, this is not enough for the optimal DHA and EPA in the blood. So there are some research that shows that it should be more. Um, you can also measure your levels before, you know, supplementing and seeing that, like how much you get and how much you would possibly need. Well, the best food sources are wild fish, like fatty fish, like uh, salmon, mackerel, sardines, herring, these kind of things, uh, kelp or seaweed, and then basically the uh, supplements. Simple question, um, advice for a long 24 plus hour travel in terms of food suggestions, um, or is it better to fast? So I'll tell what I like 
and uh, Inga Delta Lucci likes um, I pr prioritize or aim for just some easy protein like maybe some protein bar protein powder and uh, some beef jerky and things that kind of things I fast a lot as well I like hydration side like the, to pay attention to that like how mineral waters are good uh, or important and um, yeah, like even like a little bit of like uh, raw carrots. I like to snack a few Brazil nuts and uh, not a lot of like other added fats. And uh, yeah, like some blueberries, maybe something simple, a few pieces of fruit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm in in that sense. I'm I'm the same that um, I don't like eat heavy meals from with long travels, but uh, the fasting especially for women it might be quite a stressor if it's that long of a fast and you're not used to fasting and also because traveling is a stressor as well so you need to all the time think like where to go what to do there might be a lot of noise around you of course depending where you are traveling um, but um, then I would say to keep the, the brain sort of like in a, in a good good fueled state so you have that ability to think you don't get like fatigue you don't get mood dips and very like drained so have a piece of fruit have some blueberries have vitamins minerals from these sources i usually carry a bag of salad so i can snack that one as well have mm. some like greens uh, nutrients and some water as well yeah water that was mm. a very good one you need a lot of water um mm. as well and yeah we both eat protein bars or just like a protein powder too mm. It's easy, like a yeah. Mix it together. And easy to take with yeah. for sure. So the next question is, how can I improve my declining memory? Um, so this is a little bit like uh, difficult in the sense that would have to know a little bit about what's behind the declining memory. So first of all, like memory is a, a complex, like a, there are different memory processes. And oftentimes people feel that they cannot remember something, but actually they have something uh, declining their attention, for example. So the stuff didn't get to the brain in the first place. Now, if it's really like a seriously dec declining memory, then of course I recommend to go to a neuropsychological examination mm -hmm. or see a neurologist so they can assess if it can be some sort of a, you know, actual brain disease or if it's just lifestyle cost, things that decline memory uh, in regards to lifestyle the most are definitely stress, uh, sleep deprivation and inflammation. Mm -hmm. So um, then making sure that you sleep enough, you need the eight hours approximately in the night and to visit all the sleep stages, uh, you need to recover from stress uh, very efficiently. And make sure that you are not like your physical health is in in balance mm -hmm. so these would be probably where to start yeah everything uh, i agree <laughs> like if you're like the, you have to assess the, the degree of that decline mm. or even like like uh, forgetting your keys or something like that um, in the short term as you know obviously it can be because of a bad night's sleep but if it happens like chronically all the time then yeah you can look at because those are like early signs of some neurodegeneration. Yeah, I mean, they can be a neurodegeneration, but they can be also just a lack of vitamin Bs, which mm. actually causes uh, mild cognitive impairment, mm -hmm. uh, lack of uh, omega-3, lack of choline. These things can also 
lead to signs of dementia. So it's not necessarily anything alarming, but it might be that you need some, like let's say vitamin B addition to your diet to fix it. Question for me, why did I quit the keto diet? Um, well, I mean, I did a strict keto diet. I mean, that was like four years, or no more, like five, six years ago. Ever since that, I had been doing like a secret keto diet for sure. Like I only did the strict pure keto diet for maybe like a half year back in 2016 or something like that. And uh, since that time, I've been only doing like a cyclical keto diet, uh, which uh, you just eat some carbs after workouts. That's how I did it. And uh, yeah, I've never been like on a pure strict keto diet for like a long term. I've always had like carbs in my diet regularly. And uh, now I'm um, still doing some aspects of carb cycling, although I'm eating just more carbs. And uh, I mean, the reason why I'm incorporating more carbs is because of I mean, I'm just seeing better results in terms of workouts, muscle growth, and uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think that you need to be afraid of carbs. Carbs are great, and if you are, let's say, insulin sensitive and you are physically active, then especially like those carbs will be, you know, more more like a net positive in all sense, in all um, all regards, in my opinion, at least. Do you remember the difference, or did it felt different in? mental performance to be on a keto or eating carbs? Um, well, not a huge difference because I'm still doing intermittent fasting. So I'm still in ketosis at least in the morning a little bit. Mm. So, uh, and my mental clarity is also very similar to that. Um, yeah, I don't, I haven't noticed like any huge difference from that side. Maybe like, uh, with keto or like a lower carb intake, you have, I don't know, like some, some different kind of, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's not like mental clarity or something like that, but it's... Flow. Yeah, I mean, I'm still in very productive and uh, still as productive as before. Or mm. anything like. Yeah, I mean, you, you just feel a bit different in your brain, although that feeling, this kind of keto clarity or something doesn't translate into like some additional super performance or super powers. Yeah, <laughs> you're, really, my, my you're definitely probably the most productive person i know so yeah <laughs> all right this is gonna be the last question uh so there is tips to increase dopamine okay um again a, a bit complicated but let's say like to create dopamine in the brain in the first place you need uh, trip, uh tyrosine so you need to get basically amino acids from your diet good sources are turkey like beef uh, eggs you know any protein source usually meat source um, then you need to get these uh, other agents like vitamin c for example and just like vitamins and minerals to actually create that dopamine in the brain um, there are of course things that boost the dopamine momentarily but they are not necessarily sustainable or good sources to have like on a regular basis to boost dopamine which like include chocolate and sex and coffee and stuff like that um, the more important would be to actually to avoid addictions and to avoid this kind of like um, swings in the dopaminergic balance because when you go high with dopamine you dip low as well mm -hmm. so to have this balanced um, emotions and 
feelings, feelings and neural signaling would be very important for dopamine. Um, you need sleep to create dopamine. And also there are studies that show that meditation, for example, is very good for dopamine. Mm-hmm. Um, so stuff like that. Mm. Anything that makes you feel motivated to go on and do it again, that increases dopamine. But the source needs to or should be something like healthy and sustainable. What do you think about like um, having too much dopamine as possible? Or? Yeah, if you have like excessive dopamine signaling, let's say this way, then it's usually a pre- precursor or receptor for addictions. Mm. And maybe some like mania or like hypervigilance mm. all the time. You become like very like you are observing everything and everything seems to some somehow grab your attention. So that might be very uncomfortable state to be in. And in if you notice these kind of things, then usually like trying to balance emotions and relax. And if you know that. I'm always craving or going for the sugary snacks or something and you know it's a little bit of like addiction like behaviors then would be good to take like a break from that thing for about 30 days all right so that was it for the questions we'll be doing more of these q a's on our instagrams and uh, where can people find your instagram Mm, my new instagram handle is uh, ingaland.msc and my web page is ingaimanen.co and uh, my Instagram is seamland, my website seamland.com. Thanks for watching this video. Make sure to click like, subscribe, notification bell as well. My name is Seam. And I'm Inka. Stay optimized, stay empowered.